Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former City players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City. But for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode. Uh, so David thank you very much for uh, for doing this. Um, I, I want to, I normally when I do these interviews I, I always start by going back to when a player first signed for City but, for, but with you, I, want to, I want to go a little bit earlier um, because you were involved in well, a typically mad Manchester City day, but I don't even know if you know about it um, because you were playing for Liverpool in, in 95, 96. It was the final two season all. at Main Road. Two all, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you remember the situation at all uh, around for City for that game? Well, um, I kind of. Uh, last game of the season, I think we were pretty much getting ready to go on holiday. Um, sounds very unprofessional, but I think we didn't have anything to play for that time. We'd already won the League Cup um, and realised that City were in a bit of bother. And yeah, I mean, the I know you've asked the question, sort of posed the question, but um, there was a, a memory of Steve Lomas keeping the ball in the corner uh, to waste time and run the clock down, and then Niall Quinn running down the touchline and telling them that they needed a score, um, which I have to say we found wildly amusing afterwards. But obviously for City and City fans, it was nothing amusing about it at all. Well, I was going to say, at the time now, at the time we weren't laughing about it, but now we can, we can look back on it and, uh, you know, with, a, with a wry smile. Um, well, I mean, what, what was it like experiencing that? Because it's, it, it just seems to be one of those mad things that only happened to Manchester City. Well, I mean, while you mention this story, because I thought you were going to go to, uh, to even further back, which um, I, I, let me think what the calculation, maybe three and a half thousand Manchester City fans would remember this. But in um, 1989, Watford played Man City in the FA Youth Cup final. And uh, our first game was at Main Road, where we lost 1-0. Um, and then we went back to Watford and won Two nil and won the uh, the FA Youth Cup. So if we're not going to talk about that, so we'll go back to the uh, the two all draw there. But uh, yeah, it was um, it was it was bizarre. I mean, as you say, it, it's it's humorous now. I mean, it was humorous to us because it wasn't us. Obviously, we were going down. I think Niall Quinn scored the first goal. Um, and my my recollections were, were more about the fact that we drew with Man City, who got relegated, than the um, obviously the impending. Uh, relegation of Manchester City but um, yeah I mean I, the, the, it's funny because I, I do jump around I tend to jump around a little bit um, but having remembered playing at that stadium for again Youth Cup to start with and then obviously in the Premier League and then joining Man City and going to the uh, Eastlands as it was at the time um, and if I can use an anecdote of the taxi driver who took me from Piccadilly Station to Eastlands um, the, I said to him about the uh, the new stadium, and he said it's not the same as the old one. Now I can I can relate to that, and you know the two all draws a prime example of the the atmosphere at Main Road. And uh, I'm not sure again how many Man City fans are aware that prior to uh, 
the Premier League, Manchester United's record attendance was held at Main Road, if I'm not wrong, um, which I love uh, because with all the rivalry between the two clubs, it seems slightly ironic that their best attendance was actually at Man City. But anyway, um, I was talking to the taxi driver and he went, yeah, there's no atmosphere. They separate the singers and, 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 I, and I got it when he, when he was saying it. I understood exactly what he meant. Um, I did happen to say to him that obviously performances will influence the, the mood of a crowd and uh, it wasn't too long before I participated in my first Manchester derby. Um, if I remember, it was 4-1. For some reason, I thought it was 3-1, but it was 4-1. We won the game and uh, Eastlands was rocking. And everything, the, the, the words of the taxi driver keep sort of coming back to me and I was thinking, he obviously doesn't know what he was talking about. So... Uh, yeah, um, Main Road was a fantastic ground, fantastic stadium. Um, the fact that it was in its traditional way in the middle of a load of houses um, and even driving, you know, sort of from um, from Eastlands back across uh, to the Wirral where I lived, quite often I'd go past um, the roads near Main Road um, and just think, you know what, there's a big old stadium just behind those houses. So uh, fond memories. Yeah, uh, well, let, let's touch on on your move to City then. In that case, uh, because uh, it, it West Ham had just been relegated, you uh, you moved in the January. Um, was, was there anything? Uh, uh, did you know that you were going to be leaving West Ham after the relegation? No, not at all. No, no. no. I mean, the, the, the thing was, I'd sort of I'd, a couple of years at Watford in the in Division Two, the equivalent of the Championship, of course, um, and then with Liverpool, with Aston Villa. Um, and up until the end of that season, uh, was it 2002-03 season, um, played exclusively in the Premier League. So this kind of, you know, you're on the top of the top of the tree in regards to the, or the top of the pyramid, if you like. Um, but I felt responsible in part for West Ham going down. And as a player, contracted player, I was not looking for the exit. I thought, you know, as, as being part responsible, I feel obliged to sort of continue the fight and try and get us straight back up again. So, um, you know, I, was, I, I wouldn't say I was happy because obviously you don't want to be relegated, but, you know, there was no problem with me playing for, for West Ham in the in the championship, even to the point that, you know, it was England's number one during that relegation season or becoming England's number one, whatever. Um and was still playing for England, for West Ham in the Championship. So with regards to sort of, you know, professional ambition, there, there wasn't a problem there. I mean, you could, I would have argued that, you know, had, uh, had I lost my England place for playing for West Ham, then there would have been a desire to get back to the Premier League for my England place. But that wasn't the, uh, uh, there wasn't a need there. But what was interesting is that, and really funny was that, I'd got back into England squad back in 2000, 99, 99 2000. It would have been 2000, sorry, yeah, because uh, I played in the cup final, the, the last sort of competitive domestic game at the, the old Wembley. And Kevin Keegan brought me back into the squad. Um, so my first interactions with Kevin Keegan as a manager was the England manager. And um, he, he politely said to me when I... <laughs> <laughs> there's some infamous chuck out days when it comes to the uh, the sort of the, the full squad and then the selected squad for any major tournament so in uh, in 2000 the euros um 
Kevin Keegan had sort of come into my room and said, you, you knew you weren't going to go, blah, 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 and explained to me why I wasn't going. And I sort of, he left the room and I thought, well, if, that, if that's the manager you are, then good luck to you. Um, anyway, so being at West Ham, I'll get the, uh, the, the question, would I be interested in going to Manchester City? And Kevin King was a manager. So I saw there was there's a bit of conflict. I have to say there's a bit of conflict. I was thinking, okay, but at the same time, the the situation of West Ham for me had changed. Um, Alan Pardew had taken over as manager, and you know, I think uh, euphemistically, we didn't see eye to eye on a few things. And in the end, my my sort of mission to to get West Ham back up again was proving uh, futile because we weren't in, you know, we weren't top of the league or anything like that at the time. Um, and the fact that Manchester City sh- showed faith in me, the fact that I actually worked with Kevin. So, I mean, as much as I was disappointed with not being in the squad, um, I'd still worked with him. And there was there was obviously size to him, which I really, really did admire. Um, and then the opportunity to go to City came about and there it was. Yeah, fantastic. And also, the, the, again, the, there's... There's little bits in, in in the history, be it the UFA Youth Cup, be it not so much that game in the two-all draw, but I knew that Man City were, a, I can't say this the right way, were a proper football club. Um, they, you know, they weren't lost in any sort of delusions of grandeur. Um, so there was something nice about that for me. So, yeah, that was good. I, I, it's interesting you mentioned the England thing as well because uh, that that summer Kevin Keegan had signed David Seaman, but he'd had to retire through through injury in in the season. Had you spoken to him about about City? No, uh, as much as I, I knew David well in a in a sort of professional context, I didn't know him off the field. Um, I'm not a very sociable animal in that sense, so I didn't. You know, I, I, I hadn't met him out on a <laughs> in a in a pub or a, in a. <laughs> In another uh, environment, shall I say, other than football. Having said that, on England squads, we did used to go and go fishing, me, him and Gazza, which was a strange collection. But um, no, I, I hadn't spoken to David about it. Um, but as I say, I mean, I, I think the thing with, with City as a, as a club, and I, and I say this respectfully to other clubs, you know, the, the sort of delusion of grandeur thing, it was... Uh, you know, it was a proper club. And the fact they went to the new stadium, the the... the Eastwood Stadium was the best stadium in in England, quite simply. Um, it sort of ticked a lot of boxes from my perspective because the idea that it was created for a multi-sport facility, um, it was state-of-the-art, all, almost futuristic, if, you, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, and I said to you, it was an amazing, amazing stadium. So um, there was a lot of things that sort of drew me towards that. And, uh, you know, so once, once I arrived at the club, the slight irony was the training facilities because I think it was, I can't remember what the original purpose for the uh, the building was down at Carrington. But um, yeah, everything everything was really good. Really, yeah. really good. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Keegan as well, coming back to, to work with him. Oh, sorry, um, sorry, sorry, Dave, 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 cut you short, cut you short. How, how, um, how can I forget this? Of course, Robbie Fowler and uh, Stigma Manor were there. So um, I had had conversations with them. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I keep yeah. forgetting that. So I spent all my time with him. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned Kevin Keegan as well. Uh, he was obviously, uh, he, he'd taken City up from the Championship a couple of years before that. It had been, um, they'd had a, a good first season in the in the Premier League and they were they were starting to struggle when when you'd come in. Um, how much did you, or how, how aware were you of, of City's problems that season when you arrived? Um. 
unaware. I think it's a simple answer to that. I mean, my uh, yeah, my sort of following of football is a bit. I wouldn't say strange. I, I kind of we, we, I played the game. I wanted to win every game. Didn't want to lay any goals in, but I wasn't really overly uh, observant to what was going on around me. Um, I say around me, and I, I mean that in a very close context, in the sense that I, I didn't even know who we were playing two weeks later quite often because I was so focused on just getting ready for one game at a time. So when it came to where City were, what problems they were, um, had, I didn't really have a clue in that sense. I knew they weren't bottom of the league and uh, on their way back down again. But um, yeah, I, it, that, that side of things didn't really bother me. As I say, there was more the fact that I, I understood, well, from my perspective, what Man City were as a football club. Um you know, there are other teams in the local area which have, and arguably rightfully so because of their success at that time especially, you know, there was a sort of different context to what that team was about, whereas Man City was like, a, as I say, uh, a, a proper football club. Yeah. Uh, so what what was Kevin Keegan like on the training pitch to, to work with? Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, Kev, <laughs> I love Kevin Keegan as a person. Um, he and uh, again, from my experiences with England, I mean, this was a guy who would would be friendly towards everyone. Um, and at times, I have to say, I, I, and I want to say over friendly. It wasn't that anything was inappropriate in that sense, but I always struggled. And this might be a lot to do with my background and my upbringing with regards to my football career. That everything was a challenge and a, com- a competition. Um, and you, anyone who's met Kevin will know he's he's the loveliest guy you'll ever meet. And when you sort of bring that into an environment, especially in an England squad, where you've got t- uh, players from multiple teams and arguably, well, not arguably, but factually, multiple players from different positions, all vying for arguably one or two places, the fact that you get so friendly with one person could be seen by the other person, the competitor in my eyes, um, in a negative way. And I, I struggled with that. Um, from an England perspective. But when he came to, to Manchester City, again, he was like a really, really, really friendly guy, really, really good guy. Um, at times, though, there was there was confusion because his friendliness was more important at times than, uh, dare I say, the function of the team. Um, and yeah, we, we, had, we had a few words, not, not in a bad way. It was just that I was a guy who, I think contextually, um, was living in the Wirral or up in the northeast, northwest, sorry. Um, I had relationships in Devon, which is the southwest, and I had kids in London. So it was almost like the Bermuda Triangle. And in order to try and maintain those relationships, some kind of uh, structure would have been helpful. And uh, unfortunately with Kevin, there was times where the structure wasn't quite there and we wouldn't know what we were doing from day to day, in which case it made it very difficult to try and um, juggle an existence, which took me quite literally... Um, <clears throat> three corners of the country so yeah um, but having said that again wonderful guy and um, we had some we had some good times good times not not fantastic beat Man United was fantastic um, but yeah it was a, it was an interesting period of my my career and also I think from uh, you know from the experiences as a as a manager um, there were certain things which you sort of take from it and go, that was good. I'll try and employ that. And there was other things where you think perhaps another another route might be a better way of uh, improving productivity. 
Yeah, um, you mentioned the the four one win over United. Um, that was, I think, that was your first Manchester derby actually. In in uh, after you after you arrived, uh, did you feel any pressure with it being the first one at the new stadium as well? Like that that moment in history. No, no, it, 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 and again, I mean, this. I think from my career, what I learned leaving Liverpool um, was that what I was like at Liverpool was the wrong way of being. As I say, everything was ultra competitive. Um, you know, from the point of playing a game and trying to win it to uh, to who could get the biggest laugh on the bus type thing. It was uh, it was a very very strange environment. And when you sort of add that to you're playing against the, uh, one of your fierce competitors in matches, then I think a lot of it got lost um, more in the, in the competition or the perception of the competition than the actual match itself. So, you know, I. I play against Manchester United for Liverpool and all of a sudden there was a, a massive big deal about it. Um, once I'd left Liverpool, playing against Manchester United was not the same uh, in a good way. I wasn't getting lost in any kind of uh, rivalry and arguably, you know, Man City versus Man United is a bigger bigger rivalry because it's a local rivalry rather than just a, uh, a, a sort of competitive, we've won more than you rivalry. And um, I think that day winning 4-1, it was just, it was, it was beautiful because we got to, and, and <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because I, I lived on the world. So it, driving down the motorway to the stadium, it's a vivid memory of this banner going across the motorway saying, Man United fans go back to London. And it kind of, it, it, I think there was a few more words put in there somewhere, but it, it, it just, when I was driving, I started chuckling to myself because I was thinking, yeah, Man City is the, man, the, the city of Manchester's team, whereas Man United is supported by everyone el- everywhere else. Do you, do you know what I mean? So uh, I think there was a, more than just football clubs. It was almost like a, a region um, against the others in that game. And as I say, winning it 4-1, I mean, John Macken scoring, who I'm sure will come up later in conversation, was again slightly ironic, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just a wonderful feeling, and uh, it wasn't pressure. No, it was just, you know, it was again, it was pure football, true football, uh, one team versus another, and um, the better team won. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a couple of other interesting things that have happened in Manchester derbies while you were at City. Um, do you remember a nil-nil draw at Old Trafford? Uh, larger because uh, there was there were two great goal line clearances, one from Stephen Jordan. Uh, one from Steve McManaman, which I think, if I remember rightly, I think you gave him a little peck on the cheek for that one. Do you, do you know what? I can't remember that. Oh blimey! I think it was. I think he cleared from the from the line from a corner I, at the back he, post. I, I, pro- I can. I can probably. I can imagine it. Oh, do you know what? Oh no! Wow. Oh, the, wow. the, the Stephen Jordan one. Uh, I, I've tried to find video footage of it uh, elsewhere because it's it, it's honestly it's one of the best goal line clearances I've seen. You've you've come out and and basically I think it's Louis Sahar. You've put him under pressure to to basically take the shot, and he squeezed it around the like just just past your hands as you've come down. And Jordan's sprinted back and just hooked it off the line. I don't know if you if that if that helps. No, no. Do you know what nil nils are the games that I don't remember for some reason. Oh well. Wow. 
now you got me. I'm going to have to go and find it. I've been looking myself. I can't find it anywhere. Um, the, the other interesting thing, uh, obviously, when you when you arrived at City, we mentioned before they were in the middle of this of this winless run that had been going on for week after week. Uh, there was there was an irony that that the only wins that City were getting were in the FA Cup, but you'd been cup tied. You'd played for West Ham, so you couldn't you couldn't feature in them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, the, yeah, because I remember. Um... Oh, of course, yeah, because the City had been in Tottenham, hadn't they? Um, is that right? Yeah, five, yeah. when the man sent off, uh, was it 5 4, I want to say? Uh, it was 4 3. Uh, Joey Barton sent off at half time. That's right, yeah. And then um, then there was Manchester Derby. Yeah. Yeah, I did, do you know what? Funny enough, this came up the other day in my head because um, I, I went to do some TV for the game, obviously, because I was cup tied. Um, what was the score? Three nil, wasn't it? Uh, three, it three, three one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, three one. Of course, yeah. Um, I think yeah, Gary Neville was sent off. Yeah. Because who was the? Who I was think the uh, I, again, I think he headbutted Steve McManaman. I tell you what, he's horrible, isn't he? <laughs> all, that, all that smiling and laughing he does on TV, and we we know what he's really like. No, I, <laughs> I, I like Gary. I like Gary a lot. Um, Gordon McQueen, that's right. And sorry for the, the bizarre reason why it became. Uh, Something that came up in my head, the word kerfuffle was on telly the other day. And I remember using the word, that's right, because the sending off, I, I think I uh, refer to it as a kerfuffle. Um, sorry, I don't, it's just a strange memory that I have for that game. But the yeah, the cup was, um, again, even in the decision making, it's kind of like, hang on a minute, well, I can't play in the cup. Da, 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 da. But everything obviously uh, sort of took care of that. It was more important. But um, yeah. And I didn't, yeah, because I played the next game. And uh, if I remember rightly, I don't think I missed a game while I was at Man City, which I was very proud of. Yeah. Um, I, I, towards the end of that first season, um, a City were, were battling to stay in the league. Um, they, You say there was a couple of, of, of really good penalty saves, actually, that, against Wolves and Leicester that, that pretty much, I think both of them earned City points. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Leicester. Yeah. Uh, Bottom right. I'm trying to think. Muzz, no, it wasn't Muzzy, is it? Was it Muzzy, is it? I can't remember. I think it could have been Paul Dickoff, you know. Paul Dickoff, yes. Yeah, yeah, XC, of course. Paul Dickoff. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a. It was it was interesting. I mean, uh, uh, without knowing exactly all the scores and, uh, what should I say, the results in those games, but um, I think the, the for, from my perspective, obviously, having come from West Ham and having that relegation season, there was. There was an experience which, uh, for one, I didn't want to repeat, but for for two, that I could use to to make sure it didn't happen. But um, it was again a, a, a funny season. Now you mentioned or you asked a question. You know, did I know what situation was? As I say, all I knew is that they weren't bottom of the league with no chance. Um, but at the same time, you you, uh, you don't expect to go there and be involved in a relegation battle because essentially you're saying, well, I've been relegated one season. Been half season in the championship. There's England. I think obviously with England and uh, the Euros coming up, it wasn't. It didn't seem like a good ingredient for for sure. Yeah, um, there's. I mean, you, you say as well that you don't remember uh, nil nils very well. There's there's one. I, I'm going to bring up another nil nil now. Um, it was at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Uh, I remember was, that one. Yeah, Mourinho's first season at, at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. City were the only team to, to, to not lose to his side. Um, there, there was a, a cracking save you made right at the death against Frank Lampard. 
Well, interesting. We were the only team not to concede against them that season, um, which I think from our defensive uh, perspective was was magnificent, especially when Chelsea romped the league. Um, I mean, the fact that Nicholas Nelka scored the penalty um, at uh, Eastlands to win it 1-0. Um, and as you say, we're the only team to beat them and not lose to them. Uh, I did. I, I think I did a, a bit of research one day where I was trying to find out how many times that had actually happened. I mean, obviously with the Invincibles, no one had beaten them at all. But um, yeah, the, the save. Now, Tim Flowers is a goalie coach. Uh, the late Pete Burnett, you have to mention him because he was there originally. And going back to the conversations with Robbie and, and Steve, it was like, who's a goalie coach? Pete Bonetti. And they were telling me about him as a goalie coach, and so uh, which was nice because Pete was my goalie coach at Watford as well. So uh, there was a nice bit of synergy there and a, a reuniting of uh, of uh, two work colleagues in a sense. But um, Tim Flowers has taken over, and Tim had these very good training sessions, and there were certain drills that he did. And that week we did a side volley from six seven yards drill. Okay. So basically, I had to turn off the post. He did this volley, and as you can imagine, from that sort of distance, and the fact it was a side volley, quite a few of them went in. But it was just a, you know, like a sharpening thing. So when the ball came to Frank in the last, I think it was the last minute, he, he essentially he hit Tim Flowers' training shot. So having made the save, it was one of those weird things where great save, yeah, one nil nil, and then walking off, and it was like, yeah, great, kept a clean sheet. Um, but it it wasn't. <laughs> strangely it wasn't as good as maybe it could have been if we hadn't have been training to do it the week before do you know what I mean uh, and again this is one of those weird things in football you, you, you look at it and you go actually we did an exercise which may never happen and then all of a sudden it happens in the, in the week that you're doing the training exercise and it gets you the point and uh, um, you sort of look at a goalie coach and go thanks that was that was down to you that one. So uh, yeah, I, I do as much as I say I don't often remember nil nils. That was an important one. Not not so much for the save, but the fact that as I say we were the only uh, the only side that Chelsea didn't score against that season, which was uh, which was very nice. Yeah, quite a phenomenal record, really, given given what they were at the time as well. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. How 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 were things different when Stuart Pearce became manager? Um. Well, there's, there hmm, apart from putting me up front. Um, <laughs> well, we'll come on to that in a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John Mackin, you're still, you're still going to be involved. Um, well, there was, hmm, again, I mean, I, I'm speaking now, and I've, I've lost, I say lost, and maybe I didn't retain a lot of the, uh, the memories from um, sort of in detail. But the one thing I do remember from that period was the fact that, and this quite often happens, uh, and again, a learning curve for, for a wannabe manager or coach was that, you know, Stuart had been a coach. Um, he was an interim manager, I think, for 10 games, if I'm not mistaken. This, this sounds like an echo from across the city, as it happened. Um, he had an, an amazing 10 games. I think we were unbeaten, perhaps. And um, then he signed as a manager. And then, if I remember rightly, things kind of went downhill pretty pretty rapidly. Um and you, I always think that when you've got a, a coach, and I've had this experience with uh, with multiple coach stroke managers, is as a coach, you don't have to hire and fire people. You just have to make sure the team is in the right frame of mind, fitness, tactical um, uh, awareness to go on a field and win a game of football. And then once you become the manager, you are 
dealing with people's lives. Um, and I might sound a little bit drastic, but you know, the difference between signing a contract and not signing a contract will have a fundamental impact on someone's life. And all of a sudden the pressure becomes very different because as I said, there's consequences or more uh, profound consequences to all decisions you make. And yeah, things changed. We, we went from a really happy um, environment to a, to a slightly strange environment where you know, sort of laws and rules were the the way of the way of the day, if you like, um, rather than the enjoyment of going out and playing games and winning winning games of football. And uh, yeah, and yeah, another learning curve. Yeah, uh, now we can't not talk about that final day any anymore. Uh, <laughs> before we do, uh, I'd just like to play you this. This uh, is uh, I spoke to Nicky Weaver about it must be about seven or eight years ago now, uh, and obviously had to ask him about what it was like coming on in that situation. So let me just play you this. This is what he said to me at the time. I remember sat on the bench. I sat next to John Macken. Tim Flowers went about ten minutes left. Went go and get warmed up. He went you get warmed up. You're going on in a minute, and I'm Weaves new. So I'm like. So I've gone for a run down thinking, there's like, I'm thinking he can't just be putting me on for like five minutes to say like, you know, thanks for coming sort of thing. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And then I saw the kit man, Chappie, pull out an outfield shirt with number one, James, on it. So I'm thinking, ah. Next minute I saw Jamo running over. He, he was the only one who knew. He was running over, taking his top off, putting his thing on. Claudio Reina come off. And I've gone on, so it was weird because Jamo was ran over. So everyone looked like he was coming off. Claudio's come off. I've run into the goal. Jamo's ran up front, and it, it wasn't just for like two minutes. It was probably, by the time injury time was, it was probably the best part of ten minutes. But yeah, that was my first action for you know a proper game for for a few years. So, and I remember getting a great um, reception off the fans when I come on. It felt really weird because obviously we got. I mean, Jamo was terrible, wasn't he? But it caused a bit of havoc, and we got the penalty, didn't we? And, You'd have put your life on Robbie scoring it. Anyway, he didn't. And, and I remember after the game, I was sat down, the lads were in the dressing room like this, you know, with their head in their hands. And I was sat there, sort of like, trying to look a bit, you know, good. But I was buzzing inside. That I got on. I was buzzing, like, could not. I think, wow, how good. I remember doing a decent save off Stuart Downing. But I didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. And I think Pierce is sort of like, I think he was, must have been sat at home thinking, what can we do if things aren't quite going is there anything we can do to surprise him? And I think he'd just come up with this bizarre thing. And if we'd have got the penalty, it'd have probably you know, been genius. But I don't think we'll see it again. So uh, so when did you find out that you were going up front? Oh, it's so good to hear his voice. Um, well, it, well, he was wrong on two counts. Um, actually, no, maybe one. one then that, that being that I didn't know anything. I, I knew very little about it. Um, the way that Nicky portrays the story, it's almost like I knew there was this master plan and it was going to happen at a certain time. No. Um, yeah, Chappie at half time went to me, got your kit, got your kit printed. I'm like, what do you mean? And he went, you know, you might be going up front or go, no, going on outfield. And I was like, whatever, and, and dismissed it straight away because no one else had told me anything about it. Um, and then, as Nicky said, you know, the board goes up. I hadn't even seen Nicky getting warmed up. I was so in the game that I hadn't seen him getting warmed up. And uh, when I looked over and I saw him stood there, I was thinking, hang on a minute. And I, I sort of ran towards it and then I could see my shirt. That's why, obviously, I derobed and uh, put the outfield shirt on. Um, and then went up. I, I literally had no one 
telling me what to do. So I thought I'll just sort of go up there and try and win headers. And the, the second point that Nicky nearly got wrong was that I was terrible. I won every header um, and kicked every Middlesbrough player bar Mark Schwarzer, I think. Uh, I might have even kicked a couple of our players in the meantime. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was it, surreal is uh, it's probably an understatement because, as I say, I, I'm not, I wasn't an outfield player. I mean, I could score goals in training, granted. Um, but had the manager at some point said, JMO, you might be going up front tomorrow um, if we're desperate. You know, you could have made any story you wanted for, to try and excuse it. I would have done some, uh, a little bit of practice. I, re- I reckon I would have stayed out for an extra hour working on my touch, working on my passing, working on all the things that let me down on the, on the day. But as Nicky said, the point being, which was, was so funny, you know, if Robbie scores a penalty, we go through and it's a genius, a genius stroke. But um, unfortunately, he didn't. And uh, yeah, in fact, he went the wrong way. If he'd gone the other way, then I was there for the rebound. Um, yeah. And Nicky's right. He made a good save. Um, I can understand his feelings, sitting in that change room, buzzing. Uh, because, and as he said, he deserved, you know, he deserved a round of applause from the, uh, from the fans, from all his heroics and his, uh, his contributions to the club. But that was one strange day. I was going to say though, you played a part in winning that penalty. You were at the back post, ready for ready for the tapping. I was ready. I, did, I was ready. I was ready. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, do, and it, I don't think there's a week that goes by where, and I think it's because there's so much football on telly, especially now, that a player gets in the position where one of the positions I was in in that game, and I think, do you know, if I'd have done a little drag back or a little step over or, or just, you know, I could hit it with my left foot as well. If I'd have gone with my left foot. Um, and uh, do you know what? I, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and I'm sure there's some fans who remember f- uh, Fulham away. Um, oh, went you, went, you went up for a corner, yeah. Yeah. And then try to pay a cross field ball on the full. Um one nil down, and then I don't know who the the Fulham player was. ran ran the length of the field pretty much, and then Sunji High cleared it off the line. And it was like anyone who remembers that incident would never have put me up front for ten minutes in a game. And if I remember rightly, that was probably a week or two beforehand, if not uh, the, the the season before. But yeah. The, fu- the funniest thing about that Fulham one, now you mention it actually, is I remember being watching the highlights of that afterwards and, and being absolutely furious that the linesman hadn't flagged for offside because obviously you weren't in goal, so that there weren't two defenders between the, the forward player and the uh, and the and the uh, goal line when the ball was oh, played. Wow. So it should have been offside and nobody spotted it. <laughs> what? Do you know what? I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I think it's because um, I think it's because Sunji High actually saved it. I, was, I don't even think I moved after the ball had been uh, intercepted. It was just like looking back and going, "Oh dear." <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's similar things. It's kind of like I think you know, what, I had a good left foot. Why didn't I just put it on my left foot, cross it in? Tony Warner was in goal for Fulham. There was an old teammate of mine at, um, at Liverpool, and it was kind of like I, I could have put it there because I know you wouldn't have been able to get it. And, but obviously that, that's not what happened and we get to talk about what actually happened which uh, you know isn't isn't quite as fantastic but yeah wow. yeah uh, on the on the Middlesbrough one um obviously John Mackham was still on the bench uh, how, yes. you, how, how did you speak to him afterwards because obviously it wasn't it wasn't your fault that Stuart Pearce put had put you up front instead of him 
there, there wasn't a conversation from what I can remember. I mean, the the, the bizarre thing about it is, it, it, and again, it sort of goes back to this, uh, you know, sort of the, the bigger picture. Um, there wasn't a bigger picture in that game other than us beating Middlesbrough. Uh, and, you know, it was 90 minutes or one game of football, we win, we go to Europe, end of story. And the fact that we didn't win was enough disappointment rather than what actually happened in us not winning. I mean, the, the, the goal in the middles were scored, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, um, one of the most annoying things. And it, it, again, it, it's funny. I can't think of one without thinking about it, the other with regards to me going up front and not, not scoring the winning goal. And, uh, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's free kick because from what 30 odd yards uh, quite literally a two-step run-up he has beaten me in the top corner now you know sort of take the goalie out it's an amazing strike but um, I was good enough even on that day to not let that goal in the only the, the problem with it was that it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and I had free kicks against him on numerous occasions in previous seasons and I knew what he was capable of doing and you end up doing this, the worst thing which is a little steps you're right and that was enough for it to go into the top left-hand corner. So, uh, as I say, in, with regards to the, the final whistle going, it was like free kick or, or header or shot, whatever. Um, we didn't get the three points. Disappointment, disappointment. There, there was no real concern about, I wonder how John's feeling when he should have gone on. It wasn't until probably days later that someone said, you know, John Mackham was was on the bench. It was like, no, I didn't even know we, Nicky Weaver was getting warmed up. Um but, you know, again, so a few years later, you look at it and think, well, hang on. And that's why I mentioned him in the uh, in the, in the derby. You know, this is a derby goal-scoring centre-forward. And somewhere down the line, a you know, six-foot-five goalkeeper was a better option. Hmm. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about uh, the move away from City because, uh, I mean, you mentioned before about your family being in different parts of the country. You'd said at the time, I think, that, that you needed to move closer to, to your family. Um, how how easy or or how kind of accommodating was City to that to that desire to move away? That's an interesting question. Well, um, again, there there wasn't a desire for me to move. Um, it, you know, this wasn't me as much as. Uh, let's be right. You know, if there's an opportunity, and one of the benefits is that you're going to be close to your family, then uh, obviously that that helps. But you know, I'm sort of spent a very spent a very transient football career and that continued long after um, City and even Portsmouth. So the, the idea of me being somewhere else was never a, never going to be the uh, the ultimate decision uh, on uh, on a move. But I, as I say, I didn't have a desire to leave Man City. Um, I wasn't happy. I mean, the, the, the slight irony leading up to this again, that we, we'd gone on what could only be said, I think it was probably, if it's not Man City's worst I think a waveform in Premier League history. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to think that it was the worst in Man City history, but I think we had something like ten games without a win, um, and one of those was. I'd go even further and say I think we lost most of them, if not all of them. And we went to Portsmouth. Um, Pedro Mendes scores a shot from outside the box. Don't know if it was one nil to Portsmouth, one all, or it was one nil to us. Pedro equalised. I know both his goals were in the second half. And then last few minutes, corner goes out. Bradley Wright Phillips goes to close Pedro Mendes. And then Pedro decides to smash one in the top corner. And I was like, 
<laughs> put it this way, for ten, <laughs> five or ten minutes before the final whistle, I'm thinking we're going to get a point away from home. Um, I can't remember if City fans were singing songs like How Bad Are You, We're Drawing or something like that, whatever. But um, this goal goes in. Now, again, going back to my Bermuda Triangle, Portsmouth was kind of in the middle of the bottom part of that triangle. So I was driving back to Devon after the game and I didn't have sat-nav in the car for some reason. Um, I think it was, whether it was pre-sat-nav or whatever. <laughs> and I've, I've got the radio on and I'm driving the car and it was... Uh, sort of football phone-in show and there were Portsmouth fans phoning in going yeah we're going to do it we're going to survive you know the great escape and all that stuff and I was I was swearing in the car I was on my own and I was swearing in the car and I, was, I hope you go down basically because of Pedro Mendes's goal so imagine the irony as I say I'm not wanting to leave City when I get the shout um would you be interested in going to Portsmouth I was thinking that's a team I wanted to go down two months ago um, we went on pre-season tour to, I believe it was China. Um, I did have a conversation with Joe Hart the other day. I thought it was Thailand. He said it was China. Um, and I didn't play in the pre-season games. Now, Joe Hart sort of just joined the club and he was, you know, a, a phenomenal prospect, has to be said. Um, but the fact that I didn't play the games and, and any any pro who doesn't play the, uh, the pre-season games sort of questions their... Uh, their future at a football club. So, you know, Portsmouth had shown some interest and um, I wasn't allowed to talk to them. Um, I was always very diligent about uh, the, the sort of the rules and stuff. So, you know, the, I, I did request the opportunity to have a chat with them, but it was denied. And I said, well, fine. Um, went back to Car Carrington for training after the tour and I don't know if you can remember, you've been to the training ground at Carrington? Yes, yeah. Right, so you've got the, I'm not sure which one you went to, whether it was the new, the sort of the new version, uh, inverted commas, or the, the one that I, the older version I went, uh, was training at. But there was two entrances into the facility, essentially, the front door and through the physio um, rooms. And finished the training session, walked, walked in through the physio room, which was very unusual for me. Um, and Isaacson was doing his medical. <laughs> and I was like, hi, hi, yeah, shook hands. I thought, hang on a minute. Um, so essentially I was, yeah, I, I don't know what happened if Isaacson hadn't passed his medical, but um, it wasn't for me asking to move that I left, put it that way. So were they, accom so were, were they accommodating? No. Yeah. So in that sense, was it was it odd coming back with Portsmouth then the next season? Um, yeah, I mean, let's be right. You know, the, the, there's more to Man City than there is than football. Um, and as I said to you, you know, it was it was a proper club, uh, proper football club. And one of the things that really I sort of adhered them to me was the the community aspect that the club had. Um, you know, I got to be a, a Special Olympics ambassador on the back of some community work that Man City were doing with Special Olympics. Um, and for all my time in football, you know, the, Watford was the first club I joined. We we did loads of stuff, community stuff with Watford, and pretty much every other club didn't do any. Uh, I wouldn't say didn't do anything, but it wasn't so so visual. So going to somewhere like Manchester City and having them have such an influence or um, a partnership with uh, with the community really made me feel at home. 
So again, you know, I wasn't looking to leave anywhere. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like Isaacson's in there having a medical. Well, th this isn't going to work because it's not going to be me, Isaacson, Joe Hart, and I think Casper was even still there at the time, albeit a youngster. So, um, yeah, going to Portsmouth, fine. I, and <laughs> when you talk about did I know their, their position, well, yeah, I knew what Portsmouth's position was like because I was hoping they were going down two months earlier. So I kind of knew that it was always going to be uh, – they were a club that were always going to be faced with a relegation battle. And um, put it this way again, so <laughs> being used to travelling on this Bermuda Triangle, which essentially was two and a half hours, two, three hours in either sort of from either corner to, uh, to another – I looked at Portsmouth as a 114-mile journey, which in my eyes was easy. So I said, yeah, fine, I, I can do 114 miles because I, I was going to move to Devon. Um, travel from Devon to Portsmouth uh, three days a week there and back. So I was doing like five-hour round trips three days a week. Um, and it was it was beautiful. Portsmouth, Lightman City, loads of community, uh, community um, activation stuff. Uh, again, a proper ground with a hundred year old stand and all that sort of thing. So, you know, I was back home in, in that sense. And then to go to City, um, I'm trying to think what the first game was. Was it was it six nil? Um there was that that was I think that was the second game. I think the first one would have been um Oh, no, but that would have been the third one. The first one would have been a nil-nil draw, again, which you wouldn't remember. <laughs> um, but for, uh, but for uh, actually, you might remember, because that was the incident with Ben Thatcher and Pedro Mendes. Oh, it's truth, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was, yeah, that was naughty. Yeah. And um, then... Yeah, that, that was naughty, yeah. yeah. And then the second one would have been uh, Sven-Goran Eriksson would have been city manager by that time. And I think that might have been uh, a 3-1 and then the 6-nil. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the nil-nil, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, that is the only memory I have of that game. But, um, well, as I say, the the thing about which I'd actually... Oh, that's, no, you get me, get me thinking here. Um, so I didn't miss a game for Man City. From what I can remember, I cannot remember missing a game, which, and to put this in context, it's not... It's not about, wow, I'm amazing, I don't miss games. But it was that every time I signed for a football club, I signed to play football. So in my head, this idea of rotation didn't work. It was like, no, you've signed me to play the game for your club. So take the FA Cup out of City because obviously I was cup tied. But from then, it was like every game that I'm available for, I want to play. Um, and then to go to Portsmouth and sort of continue that uh, run of not missing a game. I think it was five years where I didn't miss a game. Um, no, I don't remember the first game. Of course, a clean sheet is nice. And I, I have to go back. Sorry, no, I do jump back. Um, again, the relationship with fans, and it's, it's a strange one because the, the, the community activation stuff, you're dealing arguably, uh, as you know, the way the community work tends to work is that it's a marginalised um, area within the society who need the help and the football club will go and help. You know what I mean? So... Um, the, the the actual day-to-day -day meeting of fans was rare, given that I lived in on the Wirral. But during that Manchester City period, there was the there was the game in Austria when I was playing for England. We drew two all. I didn't have the best of halves. The first half wasn't bad. Um, then I was dropped. Uh, Paul Robson took over, and I think they played Poland. Uh, I think it was Robbo who took over straight away. And then we came back and played Everton at, um, at Eastlands. And the reaction of the Man City fans to me was amazing. And again, these, these, these are all values which 
add to why you love a club. Um, so, you know, going back at Portsmouth and drawing nil-nil, there's a bit where you go, yeah, I've done my bit. <laughs> kind of, you know, kept a clean sheet. But at the same time, you sort of, you, you know, it sounds really strange. The competitor in me doesn't have any issues with it at all. But, you know, once the whistle's gone, you sort of think, that's three points a Man City haven't got or two points they haven't got, um, and I've still got some friends here. I mean, one of the things I loved about the club and, and have done for many years is the likes of Chappie, who uh, who um, uh, Nicky Weaver mentioned there. I mean, Chappie was an intrinsic part of that Man City squad, even though he was the kit man and not a player. Um, he really did make people gel. So, you know, going back was the first time I think was fine. The, the second time when Sven was there was slightly different, of course, because Sven was... Uh, uh, my previous manager, one of the previous managers with England. And that third time, that's 6-0. Wow. I think, it, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I think it's a, 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 obviously the heaviest defeat that I've been in, a 6-0 scoreline. Um, I think maybe, uh, just racking my brains out, I think that might have been the only time I lost 6-0 in the Premier League, which wasn't nice because it all started with, was it Fred? Through ball? Uh, Joe, uh, yeah. Oh, Joe, yeah, and then yeah. Joe, and then, yeah, and then, um, what's his name, from, oh, I can't remember his name now, uh, <laughs> Brazilian centre forward. Um, uh, Joe, I think Joe got the first one. Uh, yeah. Sean Wright Phillips got one. Um, Stephen well, you Ireland can name, got you, one. <laughs> you, 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 can, you can pretty much name the team and half of it's going to be right. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the multi-million most expensive player in the world. Oh, Rubinho. Rubinho, yeah, he scored in the second half with a shot, which I, I, still frustrates me how that scored. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a proper meltdown that was. Um, but at the same time, it was weird because the, the I think at that time was part of the the obviously the um, the ownership had shifted, uh, the sort of financial injection into the club had pretty much changed the the fabric of what Man City was at the time, um, and in, in a weird way that was even though 6-0 is not a nice scoreline to lose, you sort of, you, you kind of, I didn't like losing back at Man City because of the way Man City was, rather than the fact that we lost 6-0 in a football match. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, um, I, was, I was going to ask, did you did you sense that the, the club had changed? I mean, it would only been a couple of years since you'd left, and yet it was... It was like absolutely, a absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I mean, this, you know, I'm not naming names, and the name isn't Chappie. Um, just in case people try to sort of add one on one, um, but I'd spoken to some friends who uh, who were still around City, and they basically told me how the you know the, the structure of the club had changed. It had become very much more corporate than it had local fan sort of involvement, if that makes sense. And we know this happens, and it's, it's part of the, um, uh, the, the the sort of way that the that full clubs have to uh, to progress in order to survive, I suppose. And um, I'm, I, I can say this quite comfortably now, simply because of the where Man City are at now, uh, with the same ownership. And I think that that was the thing at that time. It was like, hang on a minute, I was here two years ago. Now you, you're sort of spending this amount of money, paying people that sort of money. You can beat us six nil, but you're not the team that I was with two years ago. And it, it, it's kind of it, maybe it's defeatist uh, anger or uh, <laughs> jealousy. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, I was. I wasn't happy. I say first of all for the defeat. Secondly, because of the, the, the way things had changed, and I say through conversation with friends, you know, the club had gone in a different direction. It was kind of like this isn't what I fell in love with. Um, and the reason I say I can say that comfortably now is because I know what the owners have been doing 
in the community. Um, and I know how Man City, uh, you know, they, they've still got, even though they got more money than they had then, they, they've still retained uh, from everything that I can understand, the, the, the community um, respect and sort of actually trying to make Man City a valuable member or a valuable part of Manchester's uh, community. So, you know, I'm, I've, I've actually become a Man City fan now, uh, if you dare I say, um, because of everything that I've I've got to understand about what the uh, what the new regime, I say new, you know, the uh, the current regime uh, are doing with the football club. So, yeah, slightly slightly ambivalent, uh, maybe at six nil, but um, much more uh, fonder towards it now. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, to finish by asking you about uh, one defensive partnership that you played behind, uh, because still even to, to this day, uh, City fans will talk about how good Sil van Distan and Richard Dunn were together in front of a goalkeeper like yourself. What, what's it like playing behind a, a pairing like that? Oh, do you know what? Those two. <laughs> yeah, those two. I mean, you've got two of the... Uh, very different characters. Um, and I say that because Sylvain being a Frenchman, who I actually started learning French because of um, because of Sylvain and uh, Antoine Sylvain, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, Sylvain was the most English Frenchman I'd ever met. Uh, yeah, it was funny because obviously the sort of, uh, the changing face of English footballers, or should I say Premier League footballers, obviously not English footballers, uh, the, the sort of influx of foreign players. And, and at that time, I think there was a, a lot more French players. Um, Sylvain was not your typical French player. And I don't mean this in, he's sort of like, <laughs> he was an Englishman. He d- it didn't mean that he, he conducted himself in, in a way that the old English footballers used to do, but it was just, he didn't mind you know, doing what the, uh, the English guys were doing, going out with the boys and, uh, I say the boys, the lads. And, uh, yeah, just a really, really funny guy. And Dunny was a humorous. Um, I wouldn't say as out much uh, uh, as outgoing as the rest of the uh, the guys, but to play behind him, I mean, you, you knew what you are going to get. Um, Dunny could get angry. Sylvan could get angry. He would tackle with his wrong foot. There's, there's so many things that weren't sort of traditional in, in either of them. But playing behind them and then playing well meant we would have good results. Um, yeah, I, 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 I had a lot of time for those two, definitely. <laughs>